preserved for us for our benefit and for the good of the world. Hey, uh, as I was sitting there, um, as I was sitting there, there singing, and and I, and I don't know. I mean, different different people are on different different levels, but um, but if you turn on the TV or watch the news this week, you've seen um, that that our world is in pain, right? It, it, and and some of the pain of our world is is being manifested, and we look at it and we. Um, we, 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 we look at that pain, and what we see, uh, what we see sometimes is um, lack of unity, and we see division, and we see uh, political sides, and we see racial division, and, and we just see uh, people not being unified. Um, but there is a unifier, right, uh, in the midst of all of that. And I think the unifier is the pain that we all experience. Because here's the reality, that people on both sides of any discussion or any uh, division, if you will, are, uh, are divided as a result of the pain that exists in this world. And uh, we as the church, as we go through this gospel, I think this gospel will help us to find out how we as the church can live in the midst of a world that's facing pain, bearing witness to the gospel in the midst of that. And so this morning, I just want to say I have no special revelation for what our way forward as a church is or how we should stand, um, but, but I do know this, right? I do, that it's, do know that it's impossible for us to be the church and not listen to the pain of our world and lift that up before the God of creation who brings healing and hope. And so we as Tri-Cities Church are both, this year, we are both listening to the scriptures, the word of God who became flesh, as we saw last week. We're also listening to the pain of our world. And we're trying to figure out what it looks like for us to live in the midst of that. So as we open the scriptures this morning, let's pray and then we'll get into our message. God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this space that we can come in in peace, that we can gather in your name. God, that we can do so openly, boldly, publicly, without fear of persecution or harm or danger coming our way because we bear the name of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that we can declare that there's no other God, that there's no God greater than you, that there's no God like you, God, that you are fully good, holy, righteous, and that you're doing a saving work in our lives and in this world. God, we give you thanks that we can do those things without fear of being disrupted, without fear of harm or persecution or ridicule even, God, but that we can come before you, a living God, and declare our allegiance to you so freely and openly. God, we have a lot to be thankful for. In fact, we have so much to be thankful for that sometimes we cease to be a listening people. We live in the midst of privilege and abundance And we cease to be a listening people who are hearing the pain of the world and attentive to how you are working in our world. But God, I pray that the gospel that was relevant 2,000 years ago will be the gospel that's relevant today. And that as we listen to um, the scriptures and as we study the gospel, God, we will hear how you are calling us as your church to rise up and be your church in this day and to bear witness to the gospel so that people might come to know you, praise you, find their hope in you, and their future directed by you. It's in your son Jesus Christ's name we pray. 
Amen. All right, well, as we get into the gospel this morning, what we're doing with the gospel of John is we're going through this book section by section, right? Not verse by verse, um, because that would take us a very long time. But we're going through this gospel section by section. And Kim read the section that we're in this morning. Now, there's, there's two characters uh, that are important, two main characters in this section that we're looking at this morning. The first is John the Baptist. We'll just call him Um, We'll call him J.B. for short, right? So the first is J.B. He appears in all four of the Gospels, in fact. And and one of the, um, just kind of as a a pause, maybe put a pin in it here and then we'll resume. One of the good things to do whenever you're studying the Bible and the thing that I'm encouraging us as a church to do is to study through the Gospel of John, right? So that each section during the week uh, of each section uh, that you'll be reading through uh, the Gospel of John. So like this week we were uh, 19 through 34. Next week we're going to be uh, 35 through the end of the first chapter of John. Um, so we're going to be reading from verse 35 through the end of the first chapter of John for next week. So if you're tracking along with us and studying, uh, that, that's a good passage to be in. Uh, but but um, the, the, one of the beneficial things to do whenever you sit down to study the Scriptures is to, um, is to, when you come across someone or something that you have a question about, not to just read through it, because that's what I tend to do, right? I tend to just blow through something I have a question about. So this guy, John the Baptist, um, it's easy for me to say, oh, I know John. I, oh, John tells John, and, and this is a different John than the John who wrote the gospel, right? John's kind of a common name, so don't get those confused. But it's easy to say, oh, I know John the Baptist. But here's the thing that you'll find out, right? If you were on Bible Gateway and you were to type in John the Baptist, you would find out that all four of the gospel writers write about John the Baptist. In fact, as you read all four accounts, you get a fuller account of J.B. himself, John the Baptist. Right? You get a fuller picture of J.B. And what you begin to see about J.B. is that he was an eccentric character. In fact, the Bible tells us that he wore camel hair. Right? He was out in the wilderness, the Judean wilderness. He wore camel hair clothing. And so this is the image that at least I'm rolling with about John the Baptist is that he's out in the middle of the desert. It's pretty hot. Right? And he wore camel hair, but I don't, I don't really think it was like a fur coat, right? Um, I think it was more like a skirt, probably. The Bible says that he, is there a picture behind me? Oh, there is a picture behind me. All right, the Bible says that he wore camel hair, and, and, and he had a leather belt around his, 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 his waist, and that he ate wild locusts and honey. And in fact, this was almost like the first farm-to-table movement, right? So John the Baptist is out there just picking up locusts and eating honey, and, and he's kind of doing his thing out in the middle of nowhere where there's nobody out there, and he's all by himself. It's almost, the image I get is almost of this street preacher that's on the streets in a very populated area, and they're out with the Bible, and they're reading scriptures and yelling out for people to repent. The only difference is John didn't go to a populated area, right? He went out to the wilderness where there was nobody, and he began yelling out, repent, and he began baptizing people, and the Bible says crowds were coming out to him. In fact, if you look at Matthew, one of the accounts of John the Baptist, if you look at Matthew in, in chapter 3, listen to what it says about John the Baptist. It says, Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him, right? He didn't go to Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea 
in all the districts around the Jordan. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, and they confessed their sins. And so we see this movement, a revival, if you will, all around this John the Baptist guy, who John tells us was just a witness to the one who was to come, right? He was a witness to Jesus Christ himself. In fact, if we go back to that chapter where we started um, last week in John chapter 1, verse um, John chapter 1, I'm going to be in verse 6. Yeah, 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 I'll know better than I do. There came a man from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. And so we hear of this guy, John the Baptist, who's out in the middle of the wilderness, who was sent by God so that he could prepare the way for Jesus Christ. And he's out there yelling for people to repent. And people aren't going, who's this crazy guy? I'm walking down the other side of the sidewalk. People weren't doing that, right? People were flocking out to him because this was a movement of God, and John was acting in obedience to God. And so the first character that you need to know for our section this morning is John the Baptist. This eccentric wild, if you will. People probably rolled their eyes at him a little bit, um, but something that he was doing was from God, and the Spirit of God was drawing them out into the wilderness. Second character that you need to know for our section this morning is the religious establishment, the Jews, as John writes, right? The religious establishment. Now, I know that's not a character. Those are characters. In fact, that's multiple groups of characters. But let's just pretend for one moment, or at least for this morning, that that's our character this morning because they seem to react and to act in unison with one another. And so in John, we see this religious establishment, the priests, Levites, Pharisees. There's some other that, others that fall into that group. But for our time this morning, we'll just focus on the priests, Levites, and Pharisees because they're mentioned in this text. And so we have these priests who were the representatives, the people's representatives before God. They offered sacrifice and offerings in the temple, right? And then we have these Levites, um, as it mentions in John chapter uh, 1, the section that Kim read, it says, this is the testimony of John when the Jews, right, that, that's our, um, um, that, that religious establishment, when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? So these Levites were... Um, they were kind of like the, 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 the priest muscle, if you will, right? They, they had this function. They, they cleaned and maintained uh, the temple, and they did all this kind of stuff. But they had kind of evolved into just being kind of the, the bodyguards, if you will, for the priest. And so the priest did the work of the Lord, and the Levites kind of went along with them, and they protected, and they guarded, and they made sure that the work of the Lord happened, and nobody interfered with that. So you had these priests, Levites, and Pharisees. And these Pharisees were like these influential businessmen who were more concerned with appearance right, than anything else. And so Jesus is always clashing with the Pharisees. That is a word that you need to remember as we go through any of the Gospels, because we see these Pharisees um, that are, that are uh, they, they have set strict rules for themselves to make sure that they didn't disobey the law of God. And so they set these strict rules, and they imposed them on everyone else, right? And they always were willing to point out somebody else's sin. But what Jesus does to the Pharisees, if you remember, is he says, you're always pointing at someone else's sin, but look at your own heart that is filthy. And so Jesus is always kind of clashing with um, the, the Pharisees. In fact, the, the whole religious establishment, whenever we see in John, John, um, John uses this term, the Jews. He's not just talking about Jews in general. He doesn't. He didn't really have anything against Jews. In fact, he, he is a Jew, and Jesus was a Jew too. He didn't have anything against Jews, but he used this term, the Jews, to refer to this religious establishment that was standing in opposition to God. 
Now, in order for us to get what's going on in this text fully, we got to understand that day, right? So what was happening here is you have, um, you have John the Baptist proclaiming, you got the religious establishment um, that is opposing Jesus, and, and part, partly when, when I get to that, at least, I'm going, what in the world? Why are they opposing the work of God that God is doing? And we have to understand that the religious establishment uh, was under the Roman Empire. Now, the the, the Roman Empire was a powerhouse in Jesus' day. I mean, there's never been anything like the Roman Empire. And the emperor was Tiberius, um, but the one before him was a name that you might be a little bit more for, familiar with was Augustus, Caesar Augustus, right? And Augustus was a, was a, was a bad man, right? He, um, not, not, not just bad in the sense of bad, but although he, he'd probably be bad, but, but he, was, he was a strong leader, right? He was the son of, uh, adopted at least, adopted son of Julius Caesar, uh, and he took on the Roman Empire, and he established something, maybe this is sounding a little bit like history class, but bear with me because I'm going somewhere. He established something known as the Pax Romana. Y'all remember that from history? The Roman peace. Basically what he did was he um, only fought wars that were necessary, right? He wasn't all about conquest like his father was, even though the Roman Empire expanded under his rule, but he made sure the borders were secure and things that happened within the borders began to flourish. And so we see uh, roads began to pop up all over the place. They built roads like nobody's business. That's where the saying, uh, all roads lead to Rome, came from. Uh, They came from this time that Caesar Augustus established during uh, this this first century period where they were building roads like nobody's business. They were focusing on architecture. So you have grand buildings that began to pop up. They were focusing on the arts. And so literature and writing and stuff began to come out of this time. And so the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, was this time where the Roman Empire flourished and grew and built and they lived in relative peace. Uh, and, um, and, and the Jews kind of lived in the midst of that. And they, they lived in peace as long as they kept the peace, if you know what I mean. As long as they controlled their people, they lived in peace. And so what we see with this religious establishment was here in the Roman Empire, they were given a little bit of power, right? They were given power by the Roman Empire to rule over their own people as long as they ruled their people well, right? As long as their people didn't get too disruptive, as long as they didn't get too, too, uh, too noisy, if you will, as long as they weren't making too much noise or causing too much of a disruption, they were able to live in peace. And so when we get to this section in the Gospel of John, the reason why the religious establishment is going out in the wilderness uh, to, to investigate, the only reason why they were concerned about what John the Baptist was doing out there was because people were flocking to him. And there were crowds that were coming out to him. In fact, if you look back at John chapter 1, verse 19, listen to what it says. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. That's chosen one, Messiah, right? Those words are, are synonymous with one another. Um, they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophets? He answered, no. Then they asked him, who are you, so that we may give an answer to those who sent us, right? Somebody has sent us. We can give an answer because we're investigating these crowds that are coming out to you. Who do you, what do you say about yourself? And he said, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the 
Isaiah the prophet said. Now, this, that statement, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, whenever a king was coming into town, he would send one before him who would cry out, right, from the wilderness on into the city, right? He would cry out, uh, make way straight the path for the Lord, because what had happened in that time um, was that... Um, what had happened in that time was that the roads weren't so good. Therefore, Caesar uh, Augustus was building roads and kind of shoring them up. The roads weren't that good. And so the roads, because of the rain and erosion, had gotten all bumpy. And so they would say, make straight the path for the Lord. They would say, like, let's straighten these roads out so the king can ride in on a smooth road. And so what John is doing here, this is key to understanding this passage. What John is doing here in this passage is, is he's announcing He's, he's announcing one who's coming who is greater than he is. And what the Jews are hearing, the, ro- the Jewish establishment's hearing is a greater disruption is on the way. A greater disruption is coming. When we look back at the life of Jesus Christ, the thing that we see is that his life disturbed our world. It was a disruption in a gloriously good way. But there were many who missed it. In fact, there's opportunities, not opportunities, there there are times in our life when we miss, miss the gloriously beautiful disruption that God brings in our world. There are times when our life gets so busy and so fast-paced and that we miss opportunities that God has placed before us to make straight the path of the Lord to see God's glory in and through us, to love our neighbor, to be a friend to the friendless, to help somebody who's in need, to speak a kind word, that we miss the opportunities to make straight the path of the Lord because life is so busy. And what we see here in in the Gospel of John is that this uh, religious establishment was so concerned with their power and prestige, holding on to their positions, that they missed what God was doing. In fact, I think if they could speak to us today, what we hear is the bad news about them. What we hear is about, oh, those Pharisees, they were always against Jesus. That's what we hear. But I think if they could speak to us today in retrospect, they would say, listen, for the Lord is here, and he's working, and he's calling you to be a part of what he is doing. Mm. So many ways we get distracted, but we must listen so that we can see the ways that we can make straight the paths for the Lord. We can see what God is doing in our day. But here's what the religious establishment did, right? They were determined to stop people from bearing witness to the reality of Jesus Christ, right? They were trying to silence the people because they wanted to hold on to their positions of prestige and power. And so they tried to silence the people. In fact, this is a theme throughout all of John's gospel. It keeps popping up. There's that famous story in John chapter 3. This is guy Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. Like, listen to what it says. There was a man of the Pharisees, John chapter 3, verse 1, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So this was a ruler of the Jews, right? A Pharisee, one of those influential businessmen. It says he came to Jesus by night. 
because he was afraid of what was happening and to publicly uh, approach Jesus. He came by him by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So already we see here right in the beginning of this gospel, in John chapter 3, the Jews are trying to silence people from bearing witness to the reality of Jesus. Um, But there are people that are beginning to ask questions, and Nicodemus is one of those, but he's doing it at night. If we flip a little bit further in the gospel of John to John chapter 7, there's another passage and the people are gathered here. And it's like kind of like a religious holiday, Jewish holiday, if you will. And, and, and people are, are gathered there and, and people are beginning to talk about Jesus. But listen to what it says, because this keeps popping up in the gospel of John. It says, there was much grumbling among the crowd concerning him. Some were saying, he's a good man. Others were saying, no, on the contrary, he leads people astray. Yet no one was speaking openly of him for fear of the Jews. And so here we have this religious establishment that is making sure that people are quiet, that they're not taught, even those that believe in Jesus and have seen and are standing in awe and wonder at the things God is doing. They're not bearing witness to what God is doing through Jesus Christ for fear of the Jews. In fact, if you flip a little bit further, it's this powerful story. I can't wait till we get to this one. It'll probably be summertime by the time we actually get to this story. But in John chapter 9, there's a story of this man born blind that Jesus heals. And after Jesus heals him, the Pharisees come, right? And they're asking all these questions about who did this, right? And, and, and so they come to this guy's parents and they say, hey, is this your son? And, and he goes, um, they go, yeah, yeah, that's our son. And they were like, was he blind? And they're like, yeah, yeah, he was blind. And they were like, well, then who healed him? And then listen to what, listen, to, listen, this is the response that they give to the Jews because the Jews have imposed their power to try to silence the witness to Jesus Christ. And so in John chapter 9, verse, uh, verse 22, listen to what it says. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So his parents are like, we're not getting ourselves in trouble. This is a fantastic story. You might want to read this one ahead of time. Right? Um, so there are, they're going, hey, ask him. He's of age. He's old enough. We're not, about to get, we're not about to lose our place, our favorite seat in the synagogue. He's just not rolling. It's not happening that way. And so we have these, this religious establishment that is imposing their pressure in order to stop the witness to Jesus Christ. In fact, you see even a little bit further in John chapter 12, there's this other scripture where people are beginning to believe, right? And, and there are leaders, in fact, in their community that are beginning to believe, and they're unwilling to speak out about what they believe in because of this fear of the religious establishment. If you look in John chapter 12, verse 42, listen to what it says. Nevertheless, many of the rulers, right, leaders in their community believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. And so here we have, that, that sounds like something that would happen today, doesn't it? Right, leaders in our community. All of us, in reality, we're all called to be leaders in our community. Fearful, right? Leaders who are fearful to speak out about what God is doing and to proclaim the gospel and the good news of what God is doing out of fear 
You see, the religious establishment had all kinds of power in Jesus' day, and they were trying to stop people from bearing witness to the the, uh, goodness of God and the gospel seen through Jesus Christ. They were trying to prevent these people from telling the story of Jesus Christ and for that story to become public and known. But, But here's what John does, and this is getting to how this applies to us today. Here's what John does. John writes this letter to the church to encourage them to be bold witnesses for Jesus. And so the message of John for us today Today is that God has appointed you, the church, to be bold witness for, witnesses for Jesus Christ. And so here's what this means. When we look at this uh, word witness, um, it, it's um, marturia, or, or um, <coughs> yeah, we, we can roll with marturia. Marturio is, is the uh, Greek, uh, the verb form, but, but any way you look at this word witness in the Greek, um, it's, um, it, it, it's the root of the word that we get martyr from. And if you're familiar with a martyr, a martyr is a person that dies for their faith, right, because of what they believe in. So they hold so strongly to their belief, right, and they're willing to live it out so publicly and boldly that their life is taken by those who stand in opposition to them. Now, we know very little about martyrs today, right, because we don't have the risk of dying for our faith here on American soil. That is a privilege and a joy and something we should take and rejoice over that and not take that for granted. But in biblical times, there were people that just because of their belief, right, just because they were kind in the name of Jesus, just because they did good in the name of Jesus and would not back down from that, had their lives taken and became martyrs because they became witnesses for the gospel. And what John wants us to see is that it's God's will for us to believe in this gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ, unto death if that's necessary, that we become bold witnesses for the gospel, that we believe this so much. We said the the first week, I guess, of this series, that John's whole point in writing is so that you might believe. Now, believe is thrown around all kinds of ways in our world, and we use it in different ways. And in fact, in the church today, where belief is so common in America, we've reduced it to simply a mental assent, right? We simply believe in Jesus. I believe that to be true, right? I, we say it casually. I believe that to be true. Um, but it was anything but casual for first century folk if their life was at risk because of their belief, And so what we see happening here is that John is writing, and that lets us know a little bit of the seriousness that John is expecting believers to have when it comes to their faith, that they're willing to become martyrs if necessary. And they are become bold witnesses to Jesus Christ and what God is doing through him. This is a powerful gospel for us but it's even more powerful in our world when we embrace it and we become those kind of witnesses. Because what John wants us to see, and I think um, the Bible is making this distinction uh, between what it means to be a witness and what our world has uh, traditionally, or at least the church has traditionally defined as evangelism, right? There's a difference between witness and evangelism, right? So evangelism, if you think about um, church, and, I, and I've, said, um, I've, I've said multiple times, I, I think evangelism is a word that's kind of died in the church, at least in the modern church, and is not used enough. We need to give a new, um, new life, fresh life 
to the concept of evangelism. But, but what I want us to see this morning, though, is that the Bible is pushing above evangelism this concept of witness, which is something that was lacking when we focus on evangelism. So traditionally, the church has focused on evangelism. That is, how do I communicate the message of Jesus Christ to someone to convince them that it is true, right? And so we, we came up with these formulas, these strategies, these training seminars, courses, the Roman road to salvation, all these different things. Different, you could even do it on your different fingers. And uh, you had special Bibles that were made for evangelism so that I could perfect my strategy, if you will, of convincing somebody of what I've come to believe, that Jesus Christ is true. And evangelism isn't, evangelism isn't, a, isn't a bad thing. It, it's become a kind of a dirty word among some. It isn't a bad thing, but here's the deal. It is a, it, it has destructive effects when it's disconnected from the witness of the church, right? It has destructive effects when it's disconnected from the witness of the church. And so what John does in this gospel is he's putting our focus on witness. Sorry, I had my Bible upside down. I was getting ready to read. Uh, I was like, whoa, something weird happened. Uh, so, I was, so, that was uh, one of those moments. All right, so what John do, is doing is he's refocusing on the importance of witness. In fact, when, um, when, when we started in verse 19, I'm um, not even where I'm supposed to be, in verse 19 where it says this is the testimony, literally this is the witness of John the Baptist. And over and over again, John is going to begin pushing our attention back to this important word which is witness, which is a much more expansive comprehensive expression of what we've seen, heard, and come to believe. Evangelism is about using our lips to communicate the gospel. Witness uses both our words and our life, our works, our it's a more comprehensive expression of the gospel so that not just am I telling you the gospel, but I've become gospel for you, right? I've become good news for you. There's something that's happened that's transformed my life, and that transformation becomes my witness, right? That becomes this new life within me that is speaking before I ever open my words, so that open my mouth, so that when I open my mouth and I speak words, those words Words are spoken more powerfully because of my witness. And what happens is when we reduce the gospel to mere evangelism, I'm just sharing with you to convince you that Jesus is true and my life hasn't spoken anything before I open my mouth, um, it's going to be rejected. And people's hearts are going to be hardened. And so what John is doing is he's pushing us back to focus on the importance of our lives as gospel, good news to the world. And so John wants us to see, all right, it's, it's okay for you to have a, a strategy for sharing the gospel, right? In fact, um, somewhere in the Bible, I think it's in Peter, where it says, always be prepared to have a reason for the hope that is within you, right? You, you need to know, right? If you don't, maybe it's good to go home today and just pick out some read through the Bible, pick out some scriptures and say, if someone asked me, right, why do I believe in Jesus Christ, how would I respond? You need to know, right, Um, because we're called, in fact, evangelism and witness have the same goal, right? Um, The goal is so that people might believe, 
it's just different strategies, if you will. One is, well, evangelism becomes a strategy. Witness becomes a transformed, is coming from a transformed life. It's not so much, I'm, um, I'm acting this way so that I can make people believe, um, or I'm, I'm doing good so that people might believe. But rather the good that is within me comes from the good that God has already accomplished on the cross. And that becomes witness, not a strategy, right? Evangelism becomes a strategy, but witness becomes something much different. And so what's happening, and I'll um, just go here for just a moment, just so we can maybe land this a little bit practically. So what's happened is, so, so, here's, yeah, so here's what's happened. What's happened is there's this sacred-secular divide in our society where, yeah, we come to church, we sing songs of praise, we express the joy of the Lord with our lips, we greet people friendly, and maybe even there's somebody here that you don't like very much and you go up to them and you, because you're at church, right? You go, hey, welcome, I'm glad, glad to see you. Um, and you might choose to do that at church, but it, when it comes to work, it's a totally different story. Because at church, right, God's eyes are watching, or so you think. And at work, God's eyes are watching. So here's the deal, right? We've made this sacred-secular divide, right? And so it, you know, there are opportunities to serve the Lord and do good in the name of Jesus. There are opportunities to bear witness. But what the gospel is saying is that your, if your life is witness, every moment, every second of every day is an opportunity. And so when, when I get this new boss at work, right, who I just can't stand, and I'm like, all right, <laughs> For the last boss, I was going, I mean, I would go out of my way if he asked me to stay late, if she asked me to do overtime, if she asked me to, um, to, to, to give my all on this project, even though I just, I mean, I'm just not really feeling it right now. I would do it because I liked her or I liked him. Um, but with this boss, I'm clocking in. I'm doing what I have to do. When 5 o'clock comes, I'm clocking out. That is a poor witness to the gospel. The gospel says my life has been transformed. I'm not living for the approval of man, but I'm living for God. Whatever I do, I'm doing it in the name of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. So when I clock in at work, I'm giving it my all, right? When I do things in my neighborhood, I'm giving it my all to the glory of God. When I go out of my way to help somebody, I'm doing it. Uh, for the glory of God, when I'm on my way and I see somebody broken down on the side of the road and I can help them change a tire, I'm doing it to the glory of God because my whole life is witness. And what John wants us to see is that we can't have this divide where there are times that we um, evangelize, but never is there witness. John wants to see that, that You, you can have evangelism without witness, right? You can tell somebody the story of Jesus and your life not have any witness behind it. But you cannot have witness, though, without evangelism. If you are bearing witness to the good news of Jesus Christ, 
your life begins to speak. And as those opportunities open, your mouth speaks as well. And then I'll close on this point. What John wants us to see is this, because this is what's happened in our society, is that our witness is both an individual thing, um, an individual transformation, and it is a corporate transformation. It is something that happens in your life individually when you accept Jesus Christ as Lord of your life and, and make a decision to live for him as the Spirit of God empowers you, there is individual transformation. So there are things in your life that will begin to look different. There are changes that will begin to happen specific to your life in the situation you find yourself in. That is an individual transformation. We what we cannot do is we cannot separate that individual transformation of the gospel from our being transformed within the community of the church. Because our witness, ultimately, our witness is only as strong as the witness of the church. So, um, so here's the thing. Uh, here's what... what, what um, the message that's kind of communicated in our society is this. Uh, why do I need to be a part of a church? You know, uh, I can watch T.D. Jakes on Sunday morning. I can download it on my podcast. I can get the word. I can buy Christian CDs with my favorite songs. I don't even have to sing those songs that they don't like. It's half the songs they sing at Tri-Cities Church. Some of them I like. Some of them I don't. Why be bothered when I can customize it just for my taste, right? I pick the songs I like. I pick the sermon I like, right? I pick the friends I want. I don't have to say hey to somebody I don't like at church, right? I I pick the experience I like for my good. And I can just over here individually be a witness to the gospel because I'm being transformed And what John wants us to see and what the entire New Testament wants us to see is is that the witness of the church prepares the way for our individual witness. In other words, it's only as you are being transformed in and through the life of the church, the Christian community, that our witness will have legitimacy in the eyes of the world. And so here's the thing. All right, so you can go, um, all right, I've been transformed individually. I'm doing good things. I'm doing kind things. Somebody's asking about the faith that I believe, and I tell them about it, and they, then they go, um, so, so like, I want to learn more. Where do I go? Where, where do you go? Well, I go to Tri-Cities Church, and here's what happens, right? That, that person shows up to Tri-Cities Church, and you're like, you're like where's uh Where's, uh, let's see, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm always trying to pick a name. Yeah, where's Angelia? I'll use a name that, she doesn't mind if I use her. Uh, where's Angelia? They're like, where's Angelia? <laughs> well, Angelia, Angelia only come every once a quarter. Uh, she's, she's been transformed. Into, like, does that work? No, it doesn't work. The gospel transforms us within the life of the community, right? And so here's the, here's the thing. It, 
the, the value of the community is that together we are being transformed and there's a give and there's a take and we're learning from the life and the experiences of one another and we're encouraging each other and together we are being transformed as individually we're being transformed as well. I hope I'm making sense there. Um, And what John wants us to see is this is so important if the church is going to have a witness, if the word of God is going to be communicated. Now, what um, I think a challenge for us as a church um, is to ask ourselves individually, <laughs> what's standing in the way of my witness? What's standing in the way of my witness? For the church that John is writing to, it's this fear of being put out of the synagogue, losing their community, their friends, the people who surround them. It's the fear of being mocked and ridiculed and having to wrestle with what it looks like to live in this new life, disconnected from the life that they knew. For us, it could be a similar story or it could be a totally different one. It could be fear. It could be being mocked. It could be ridiculed. It could be this uh, thing that's becoming a thing, right? This fear of missing out, right? If I say yes to Jesus, what am I saying no to? And I have this fear of missing out on something that I have to say yes to. If I say yes to being at church on Sunday morning, what am I missing out on? Am I missing out on an extra hour of sleep? Am I missing out on... um, uh, being there to tailgate before the football game. What am I missing out on, right? That's, that's the reality. Come on, y'all. Can we get an amen? That, um, so, uh, so what am I missing out on? So, so the question is, what's standing in the way of my witness? Make it personal, right? Is it, is it that it's hard and I, and I don't have the strength and that, that may be so. And you might say, well, I need a community around me to strengthen me. And that could be the church, right? Or, or is it that, it's, um, that I'm fearful that if I do this, if, if, for instance, use the example I gave, go the extra mile on my job, that my boss is going to take advantage of my kindness and treat it as though it's weakness. And I just can't be that person not even for the gospel's sake. There's a question for us all, and that's what's standing in the way of my witness? And as we answer that question, the scriptures are challenging us to tackle those things one by one so that our lives continue to look more like the life of Jesus Christ and our witness in this world becomes real. I think that's a good place to stop. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to read the scripture that challenges us in such a strong way. God, I thank you for the story of the early church. And God, in John, we see people whose witness was silenced because of fear of being put out of the synagogue. But God, we also see the story of people who proclaimed their faith boldly, and courageously, with joy, willing to suffer loss for the sake of the gospel. And those who did that, 
their names are written in the book of life and are not forgotten by you. And so, God, I just pray that we will be willing to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel, being confident of this, that if we do so, our names will never be forgotten by you. It's in your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, when John came in, in verse 6, and he says, he calls Jesus the light, and him uh, was light, right? He, he's showing us that, that in Jesus, he illuminates the path for life. And over and over again, John is going to magnify the significance of Jesus and how much our lives are changed when we know him, love him, trust him, and allow our lives to be shaped by him. Now, last week at the beginning of the message, and I think there's slides for this that were at the beginning of of the sermon, um, there were three things that I said that we would do well to do to help us through this this series. The first thing I said, and I just want to remind you of these, the first thing I said that would make the most out of this series was at least once as we go through this series, spend some time in the Gospel of John, right? Spend some time uh, reading through the Gospel of John in one sitting, at least once. Spend some time reading through the Gospel of John all in one sitting, so sit down, carve out about two hours, read through the gospel of John. Um, and I would love to hear the stories of, of how, you, uh, how you experience John when you read through it, because I'm trusting that you will. Uh, I would love to hear, because I, 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 I think I told y'all, I read through it, and the very next day I was like, wow, I got to read that again. Um, because it was just that good. It came alive in a new way when you read it from beginning to end. But the other thing I want to challenge you to do is uh, weekly um, to spend some time in the section for the next week, right? So uh, next week will be in John chapter 1, verse 19 through 34. Weekly, spend some time in the, next, the section for the next week. That will be the section for next week. Spend some time in that. Begin praying to God through that passage of Scripture. Maybe take out your study Bible and study that passage. Maybe even come to church with some questions questions on that passage of Scripture. And then the other thing I said is pray about how God wants to transform your life through the gospel. And this morning, through this idea that Jesus Christ in him has found the meaning of life, right? He is the Lagos. He's the reason for all things existing. And it's only by learning him that we can learn what we were created here for. Begin praying about how is God transforming my life through this section of the gospel. Because here's the thing, and, and I can only really speak to my, for myself and what I've seen, and, and that's that we get into a routine of coming to church and hearing the word of God preached and walking away unchanged. In fact, I think I've told the story several times. I've walked away from church and someone has asked me at lunch, what, what did you preach on today? And I went, I, I can't even remember. Um, walked away unchanged by the word of God. And I want to challenge you not to walk away unchanged. In fact, you get a handout when you come in the door. Maybe it's a write down how God is leading you on Sunday mornings so that you walk away with that in your fresh memory, so you can refer to that during the week, 
so you can turn back to how God is challenging your life and how God is using the gospel of John to transform you because we cannot encounter Jesus, the meaning of life, and not be transformed. We cannot encounter Jesus, the logos of God, the reason for our existence, and not be transformed. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to study the scriptures and to dig deep in them and to gain understanding from Jesus, who is the reason for our existence. For in John, you teach that all things came into being through him and that nothing exists without him. And as a result of that, that all things find their meaning and purpose in him. And so, God, please help us to know him. And that in knowing, we might be like him and be used for your holy purposes. God, I just pray that you will remind us that in this world, because the word became flesh, never do we walk alone, but you are always with us. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning, like every Sunday morning, we have a time of communion where these tables have been prepared. And the powerful story Um, kind of behind communion. When Jesus instituted it, he was sitting with his disciples. The reason for our existence, the one who created it all, was sitting with his disciples. He had walked with them. He had talked with them. He had shown them the way that they were created to live. And he sat down and he told them of the future things that were to come. In fact, he predicted his own crucifixion and that he would die for their sins and that in his death, they too would die, but that it, because he would live again, they too would live. And he wasn't just talking about our regular death, like the physical death when breath leaves our body, but he was talking about a death to an old way of life and a new life that begins now. And for many of them, that was a fearful thing because the gospel was challenging them to do things that they wouldn't ordinarily do or be comfortable doing. And Jesus had to, in that very moment, remind them, as we'll see later, much later, in the Gospel of John, that I'm not abandoning you without hope, without my help, but I'm leaving my spirit with you, and that you'll never be alone in this world as you pursue the will of God. So as we take communion this morning, feel free to make your way to one of these four tables and share in communion 
Then also there's a bucket on the tables. If you came prepared to give, this is the time where you can do that. You can uh, place that in one of these buckets at the table. Um, but, uh, but allow yourself to be reminded that God is with you as you follow him.